Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and this is my co-host, Travis McQueen. Hello. We're going to get into a Q&A today. So we're just going to... Um, continue. Continue. Part two. Resume part two, call it what you want. Uh, the questions on the Tailored Life Challenge Facebook group, there was a lot of them, and we want to go through all of them to get everybody's answered. So we're 18 days in as of today, 18 fucking days. It seems like it's been longer than that. It does. It's crazy. It's over half though. I mean, I don't know if that's because see how many days are, oh, that's a stupid question. Never mind. Say it. Nope. How many days are what? Nothing. I hope you weren't going to say a month. No. Well, I was going (laughs) to say in May, but obviously I put the thing together. So it's 31 days. (laughs) You would know more so than me. Uh, But yeah, it's, uh, I feel like it's almost gone faster because there's so much activity in the group. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like hearing from everybody every single day. I mean, it's been, it's gone slower is what I mean. Hmm. Cause, and I don't know if it's because I'm, I'm literally used to checking Facebook way less frequently and now I'm checking it so much yeah. because there's so much going on that maybe that's why I feel like it's going yeah. slower. I don't know. It just I definitely feels like check it more often than usual, but I still like in my brain, I don't check Facebook. So it's like. It's hard. I ha- I go to Facebook probably ninety percent because of the challenge. That's it. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's that or Taylor Trainer. Uh-huh. That's like literally it. Which is also why I'm going to have somebody on the team help with the Facebook page because we're underperforming there. Yep. We could be doing way better. Yeah. Um. But no, I think like the combination of that and honestly just being so consistent with so many habits because I'm doing level three, I feel like that might be slowing time a little bit. Like I just feel like it's been longer than thir- eighteen days, but yeah. we still got thirteen days left. Everybody's rocking. I just posted in the group talking about like, and this is a good lesson for anybody listening who has done something like this. Maybe you've done 75 hard. Maybe even if you just started a nutrition plan or anything, it's like I was talking to, I just posted in the group, like nobody is fucking perfect. So give yourself grace. Like at the end of the day, every single person, I don't care. I mean, some people are going to bullshit. Yeah. Some people are being honest and you know, there's everything in between. But at the end of the day, nobody in that group is doing a hundred percent constantly right even like i've hit every single habit every single day so that's technically 100 but there's definitely been days where my meditation was a little bit shorter or just not like i wasn't into it you know my journaling was like brief i didn't get into it maybe i stopped short on reading or my cold shower was too quick or it wasn't cold enough whatever it may be um that's not 100 and that's okay it's not about being 100 of 100 of things 100 of the time right it's about being fucking 90 percent 100 percent of the time Every day, do as much as you can there for you, you personally. You yep. know what I mean? That's the only way to grow. Yep. That's it. And we're all fucking humans. I was talking about that on the live when you walked in um, when I was in the middle of the Monday motivation that I do in the group. Uh, every Monday, I'd go live and just basically just rant on yeah. something, right? But I was talking about that exact thing. It's like I had a, a hard weekend hitting the goals because I was busy and I was doing things, but I still made it happen whether it was perfect or not. And we're all that way. Nobody has perfect days. And that was the other thing. Somebody, uh, two people, DM, it's weird. I don't know if it's because of what I was posting, but two people DM me last week and basically said the same thing. And it was just like, do you ever have a bad day? And to me, I like laugh. I'm like, fucking kidding me? Of course, of course you know? But then I thought about it and I'm like, well, shit, man, for somebody who isn't in my day-to-day life, yeah. I don't talk to on a personal basis. They just follow Instagram or listen to podcasts, whatever. I could totally see that. You know, but the reality is, is I choose not to post negative stuff going on in my life because it doesn't serve anybody justice. Like for me to tell you, I get anxiety. I'll talk to you about it in two months when I figure out the root cause of that anxiety and how I overcame it. And then I'll bring it up and be like, I was experiencing this, but this is how I navigated through it because now it serves you. Otherwise it's just like, I'm just bitching on social media. There's enough of that. I don't need to do that. You know what I mean? So, um, but to answer that person's question and what I, I use it as fuel to the group live, it's just like, man, I have, I have plenty of bad days. I think what these habits do for me and what I feel like I've gotten really good at over the years is being able to shift out of that negative space mm. quicker. And I think that's the most important thing. Like I say, like, be more positive, look to the positive side, control the controllable. And the most common response, and I get it, is easier said than done, Yeah, which is totally true. But there's way to, ways to go about it. Yeah, and the point is not saying like, hey, train yourself to not have negative shit. Like, in your life, you're going to isolate yourself. <laughs> like, if you surround yourself with people or take risks or action or try, you're going to experience stress, period. Even the good things in your life, 
marriage, kids, business, they all bring negativity at some point and stress, right? So it's not about like deflecting it or not experiencing it. It's about handling it better, quicker, or faster, shifting out of it quicker, right? Just differently. Yeah. And I think that's what these habits are about. So um, just a random thought because I was going in on it yesterday and today in the group, um, which is a really powerful thing of being in a fucking community of people that are trying to be better. Yeah. I think those Mondays are awesome. I've seen a lot of the feedback and those are good, man. The thing I love about them too is it's kind of, it's similar to the, the Monday Motivation Podcast, except I will say... I come into the Monday Motivation Podcast with a little bit more structure mm. because I don't know, I, live. Just, I just do. Yeah, but the live, it's <laughs> like, well, I, I came in and I did it at, it was like 940, I think, when I started it because I usually do it at like 730. I get it done early. It's just when it works for me, you know, <laughs> like 730 a.m. every single day except Monday, I have a call with one of the coaches. Yeah. That's like my 30-minute period, 730 to 8 a.m. Mm. I talk to one of the coaches and uh, I do the live instead on Mondays. But I just had nothing, man. And it was like a long morning trying to get my shit done. I get in the office. I was tired because we ran out of coffee. So I only had decaf in the morning. And I was like trying to like placebo myself into thinking I was awake. But Didn't I knew work. damn well that shit tasted like decaf. Yeah. But uh, I was just sitting there and I was like, I don't know what the fuck to talk about. And so I like took out the little notepad and I just wrote like, I literally was just like, nobody's perfect. And then I just hit live and I was like, something will come out, <laughs> you know. Uh, and then I just started kind of ranting. And then it ended up being really good, and yeah. it lasted a good amount of time. So yeah. I think like that's what's cool about it. But it's it's very off the cuff and transparent for sure. You know? Opposed but, to the Monday Motivation podcast, yeah, which are still pretty. <laughs> I mean, I have bullet points usually. Sometimes, like, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you walk in and need to talk about something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or like that one time, should I just got off a call? It was yeah. like, hit record, yeah. go. But no, I think that's I think that's the way they come out the best. Yep. All right, cool. We're going to get into the rest of the questions in the Facebook group. And the first one comes from Kristen Hibbidston. How do you track progress in a cut if you don't want to use the scale? Obviously, measurements, clothes, etc. It's nice to have more data, but it's nice to focus on uh, mindset. Advice mainly for this. So, I think the metrics you use depend on the progress you're you're trying to attain. So here, here's the issue here is like if somebody comes to me and they're like, I want to lose weight. That is my main goal. That is what's important to me right now. It's important for my health. It's important for the way I look, whatever it may be, but I don't want to step on the scale. One of two things needs to happen. Either A, you need to change your goal or B, you need to change the way you see the scale. Because if you want to lose weight, we need to track weight, right? If you're somebody who's like, I want to lose fat. I don't care about the weight because I know I'm not going to lose much. For example, I just had a call with somebody today um, who's uh, coming on board. They're going to be working with Brian, and it was very similar. She's 4'11". She has a a wedding, so she's pretty short. She's 115 pounds. She's not a big person whatsoever, right? That was the conversation. We know the scale is not really that important because you're not going to lose a bunch of weight. You don't have a bunch of weight to lose. She wants fat loss. She wants to get leaner. She wants to build some muscle. But she knows she's not going to lose a bunch of weight. She's 115 pounds. She's pretty light. You know what I mean? The only time I really see women get much below that is if they're stepping on stage. Yeah. And they're getting unsustainably possibly gaining weight with muscle. 100%. Yeah. Or recomp at the least, you know, at the the most, where it's like you're maybe losing or gaining a pound or two, but you're clearly looking different because you're gaining muscle, losing fat. Yeah. But in that scenario, somebody comes to me, I'm like, cool, well, the scale doesn't matter. If it fucks with your head, we'll just remove it because it doesn't matter. If it doesn't. We'll keep it because it's data, but we don't really need it. It's more important to look at progress in the mirror, yeah. measurements, performance in the gym, calories, things like that. But again, that's still very specific to the person. So if somebody's lighter and they're wanting to get leaner, we got to rely mostly on progress pictures. Mm-hmm. If somebody wants to lose weight because they're heavier and they need to lose weight, we got to rely mostly on the scale. So in either category, if somebody has pi- problems with progress pictures, then Let's work on body image because clearly you have some kind of issue of seeing your body physically. It fucks with your head. If somebody has an issue with scale, we got to fix that problem because you have something, something's wrong with you stepping on the scale and that's causing a mental issue. Exactly. So usually in this situation, somebody asked me that I'm like, Hey, let's just get to the root cause. Like, because the the problem isn't the scale. The problem is how you see the scale. I was talking to uh, one of my higher profile clients uh, on the phone yesterday on the way to get my oil change. And uh, there's obviously more pressure when you, when you're, when your goal is to get lean and stuff, but you got to be on TV and 
be like in a two piece, right? Mm-hmm. All the, like, of course, you're, there's more pressure. <laughs> but what I said to her, and she laughed, but she's like, fuck, that's so true. I was like, not once do you ever like appear and it says your name and then like in parentheses your weight. Yeah. It just says your name. They're introducing you as who you are. Or like you, like somebody in the grocery store doesn't walk around with a badge around their fucking neck with their weight on it. So it's like, why are you worried about the weight? You know, because with her, it was recon. Like, yep. she gained weight, but she looked leaner. So to remove that image of the scale, I had to use different analogies. I was like, can you imagine that? You just walk in the store, and I just have a badge that says my weight on it so everybody can see. Then all of a sudden, now I'm going to have a bad attachment to that because people are going to come up and see that. But I told her, it's like, when you work hard, and you diet, and you train, and you're sleeping, you're, ma- you're, you're working on these habits and everything, and you come up to somebody, and they're like, oh, my God, you look so great. They don't say, like, oh, my God, how much do you weigh? <laughs> Right. Yeah. Or if, if they said, you look so great, what are you doing? Like, what have you done? You say, oh, I'm just training and doing, you know, nutrition, everything. You don't say, oh, I gained two pounds and like smile, which would actually be really cool because if somebody looks leaner and somebody was like, you look amazing. And they're like, yeah, I gained some weight. It would just completely shift how the person hearing it would like respond, you know? And I think that would be actually good for some people to hear yeah, like, oh, vi- you gained weight? Like, and the visual is a lot different. Yeah. Um, cause usually when people look better, they associate with, did you lose weight? It's yep. like, no, I actually gained two pounds. But, um, Point being is like it's just a fucking number. Mm-hmm. Like nobody, nobody sees that. Nobody is worried about that, and you shouldn't be either. Like there's no, there's truly no universal number for anybody to like step on and see because, you know, even like let's say you and I are both thirty years old, we're men, and we're uh, both five ten. Not the case, but in that scenario, we're gonna weigh different. Aside from even if we had the same uh, amount of muscle and the same amount of fat. We're still going to weigh different because organs, food inside my, my stomach, my digestion rate, my, my bones, mm-hmm. the, the amount of water I retain in different tissues, my gut, all these different things. There's so many things like my brain is bigger than yours. So I'm going to weigh more. That adds to all this. That's a muscle. Yeah. I'm just playing. But um, I mean, I'm not. But the point is, is there's things inside us that are going to weigh differently. So even then, we're still going to be a few pounds off. So am, am I going to feel bad because I'm a few pounds heavier, even though I'm the same muscle and same body fat percentage? No, it doesn't make sense. So the point is, is you have to work on disassociating your identity with the scale or any negative condensation you have with the scale. The scale is not a negative thing. It's literally just a fucking number. Remove that. That's the only way to do it. So now, that being said. That's hard to do. It's hard to do. So it takes work right? It takes coaching. It takes mindset. It takes reading books. It takes openness to like stopping what you're doing right now, because whatever you're doing right now, it's not working mentally, right? I have this conversation with people all the time too, where they constantly have these issues, but they're not open to doing the things I suggest, right? There has been a time where I've actually told somebody, I want you to literally take the scale and fucking break it. I want to see, I I like literally was like, I want a video of you smashing it on the cement or at least throwing it into a garbage can really hard. Cause if you don't want to clean up the glass, I get it. But or whatever it's made of, mine's class, but throw it into a dumpster and let it break because you need to get rid of it because your goal isn't weight loss. Your goal isn't to get leaner. You're already lean. You're already performing well. Your goal is health and stress management. So what's, what purpose does the scale serve? None. We're going to track stress and sleep and, and things like that. So regardless, I think you gotta, your metrics have to be specific to your goal. So there, there are times where somebody can lose weight and not worry about the scale. Obviously, if you have 100 pounds to lose, like we don't need the scale. We can visually see, like if your pants are shrink, like getting bigger and bigger, we know you're losing weight. Don't worry about stuff on the scale if you don't want to see that number. But if somebody has like, you know, 10 pounds to lose and you want to lose weight, you kind of need the scale. And if it, the scale is an issue, we got to fix that issue Yeah, because it's just a number. Um, but like, and, and the reason I kind of went on that rant too is because in the question you said, um, what's another way to track progress without the scale? And then in parentheses, you put progress pictures, measurements, et cetera. You named them, you yep. know them. Yep. There's no magic like the secret metric I'm going to tell you it's progress pictures, it's measurements, it's performance in the gym, how your clothes fit, you know, like those things matter just as much, but biofeedback. I biofeedback, I, but at the end of the day, like if you have an issue with scale, you got to fix that. Even if you're like, even like from, let's say for right now, I'm like, you know what? I'm never, I don't want to change my body ever again. So I don't have, I really don't have a purpose of weighing on scale. If I had an issue with scale, I would still weigh myself to fix the issue. Mm-hmm. And then I would stop because yeah. there's a deep rooted issue with your body and with the scale. And that's a problem, but mm. very deep yeah. answer. Absolutely. Probably not what they were. They were probably hoping for like a magic. Yeah. Or like a specific tool to measure or something. Yeah. But the truth is, is there's none. I think that people just need to get over that. It's, and it's not, it's not easy. I'm not 
claiming that it is, but yeah. it's what needs to be done. Yeah. Cool, man. Great. All right, we'll move on to the second question. Uh, comes from Courtney Peterson. So, what are your thoughts on carb cycling for general population and athletes, or is it better to follow an average caloric intake per day? Uh, it, it depends on the person, obviously. Like, if we're talking about average person and athletes, those are com- two completely different people. So, but you can actually look at this answer the same exact way now that I think about it. Because, look, like, at the end of the day, if you, and I've done, if you, we should link this in the show notes, but the uh, the carb cycling video, and I also did a carb cycling blog, and it goes into detail with this, and it shows graphs. So it talks about all the different benefits, but then it kind of, I kind of retract my statements and let you know, like, hey, none of this really fucking matters unless it just helps your adherence. Because here's the thing. If we have high high calorie, high carb and low carb days, which is essentially high calorie and low calorie days, there's going to be no difference. So, there, so there's two scenarios here. We have high carb and low carb days, which makes our calories fluctuate up and down right? We have high carb and low carb days that are also high fat and low fat days, opposites, making it so that our calories do not fluctuate. So in situation one, maybe it's 2000 calories on high days, 1700 on low days, right? Because all we're doing is dropping carbs on the low days. In the scenario two, it's 2000 calories every day, but the only thing we're doing is high carbs, low fat, low, low fat, high carb, like going back and forth, Mm -hmm. right? High fat, low carb, and just, just alternating. And then the the third option is um, just a straight calorie def- or just a straight calorie intake linear across the week. The only difference in any of these is g- going to come down to the weekly caloric deficit imbalance, right? So in the situation of carb cycling versus just a linear intake, if calories are equated by the end of the week, it doesn't matter if you bring calories up or down because your calories at the end of the week are going to be the same. In the situation where you're bringing carbs up and down and fat and up and down, you're not creating a calorie deficit at the end of the week, so you're not going to see any difference there. Because you're not creating a deficit. You need mm-hmm. a deficit to lose weight. Um, that can serve a purpose for flexibility because maybe you're training really hard so you know you need carbs, but you truly enjoy eating a ton of bacon and avocado and all these fatty foods. So you want to have days where you can have some more flexibility. Perfect. That's awesome. Do that. It's going to help your adherence. So if we talk again in eight months, it might have helped you lose weight or body fat because it helped your consistency, not because there's a tr- like something magic going on with the high and low fat and carb days, right? Um, now in an athletic perspective, it's basically the same thing, right? Like, so there's, there's arguments to be made of like increasing carbs up and down based on athletic performance. The only way I can see this being beneficial though, like, and this is after like, I mean, you guys can go check out the blog. Like I did a lot of research in order to write that blog. Cause it's, it's, I don't remember. I think I called it the scientific approach to carb cycling, but the only way I can see that being beneficial is if you added like 40 to 50 grams of carbs on the high carb days and it's purely through an intra-workout carb shake that you're drinking during a game. So if you're an athlete, a football player, a soccer player, or you're a CrossFit athlete and you're, you're doing an event, but how many times do you do an event, right? Like on the weekend? So maybe your carb cycling is like one high carb day and it's just because you have 40 extra grams of carbs through a drink during your workout. The other days, the workout shake is unnecessary. Or for a CrossFit athlete, it might be more consistent because you have hard days. Or a football player, if you have days where you train in the morning and you have practice at night and it's pretty grueling and that's only half the week, maybe you add the shake on those days and you do have this carb cycling. But you can also just be like, well, why don't we just increase your calories and carbs every day of the week and you're just always going to be fueled because you're not trying to lose fat here. So is it really beneficial to go up and down? Because we know that unless you're drinking a shake like that and it's immediately absorbed while you're training, which is rare, your carbs are going to take time. Like you got to digest food. You eat some oats or some bread or some rice. It doesn't just like go into your system and work. You have to break it down, digest it, absorb the glucose, turn it into glycogen, and then use it. Yeah, That can take time. You know, you're going to take some of the carbs, especially if it's fruit or sugary, it's going to go to the bloodstream. That's going to be blood glucose. That's going to support immediate energy. But the majority is going to be stored as glycogen. Your body stores a lot of glycogen. So right now, I have glycogen in me, right? So my pre-workout helps, but it's not the only thing I'm using. So for that purpose, you can even argue like, well, your pre-workout is important, but realistically, your whole day is just as important. So is the day before, which also means that even if I'm not training tomorrow, I'm training the next day. So I have to have carbs tomorrow because it's going to fuel the next day and it's going to help me recover from the day before because I'm replenishing glycogen. 
So if we go into that rabbit hole, carb cycling serves no purpose because we need it on recovery days just as much as training days. So I go back and forth with it. At the end of the day, like fat loss results won't be any different unless it helps adherence. Mm. Um, and that can go a long way. You know, there's some people who just feel better on carbs or if you're getting really, really low on carbs, maybe you get a boost in performance. That boost in performance is going to motivate you. That motivation is going to help you with consistency. Um, or you just have a few high carb days around your training session and it allows you a little bit more as like <laughs> bro as this sounds to some people, people going through a diet, they'll get this. It allows you to have a little bit more brown or white rice with dinner. Like some people are like, really? Like you're excited about some white rice? But when you're dieting, you're like, fuck yeah, I get an extra cup of rice. Yep. I'm all in. <laughs> like that's great. So that might boost your ability to stick to the diet. And if you have a better ability to stick to the diet long term and be more adherent to it, which means precision is going to be dialed in, that's a win. Yeah. And you're going to get a better result. So um, there's really, there's no, like, there's not huge pros and cons. I think there's very, very, there's some situations where carb cycling can work, but usually it's intuitive. Like I've had uh, CrossFit athletes who have done tournaments and it's like, you know, you're doing three days in a row of tournaments and you go into it not knowing what the events are. So depending on how depleted event one is going to make you, that's going to base my carb prescription to you for day two. You know what I mean? So if day one wipes you out, we're increasing or I'm like, Hey, go get a burger and some fries. Cause you need something just like super high calorie, but it's very intuitive. Totally. It's not like programmed perfectly. So that's, that's for the most part. Um, refeeds and diet breaks and stuff like that is going to be more beneficial because there's just more data around it. And it's just, it makes more sense because it's a periodic thing that is like, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. All right, five days in a row, boom. Yeah. And then More we're structured. waiting. Exactly. Yeah, sure. and carb cycling is just so – but I use it. I mean, I have a couple people that are carb cycling right now. I use it because I know it will help them adhere. Like, I want to bring their calories down, but they struggle with low-calorie diet. So I can do one of two things. I can bring their calories down like I want to every day, and it's going to work, but they're probably not going to adhere for very long. So if it only works for a few weeks, what the fuck's the point? Because now they're just falling off, they're binging, they're not responding. You know what I mean? Now I know they're falling off the diet. If – somebody is like that, I might say, hey, we're going to drop your calories even lower on those low days, but I'm going to keep your calories high on these training days, these three or four training days. And now like those low lows, they're, they're manageable because they know tomorrow they're going to get more food, right? And as crazy as that sounds, like some people would rather go into a 600 calorie deficit half the week than a 300 calorie deficit every day of the week, you know? And I would say I'm one of those people because mm. I'm like, a lot of people will think like, fuck, throw me in the inferno. I'll grind. I don't care. As long as I got some, some, <laughs> some high days yeah, in between. to look forward to. Exactly. So yeah. I'll fucking grind and grind grind. And then I know I have a refeed every week or I have every few days I get to have a high carb day. Just easier that way. Yeah. So depends. For sure. All right, cool. Um, next question comes from Keely Vaudry. It's kind of a long one. So she says, when... When lowering volume due to more and more lockdowns from COVID, when low when lowering volume due to more and more lockdowns from COVID, do you also lower your calorie intake that day? Also, with less training in one day, such as no workout or or less active day, do you think do you ever think of lowering your calories? I battle with the urge to bring in less, even against hunger cues, in order to quote unquote leave space. Thoughts on how to approach and if you have ever come across this? Yeah, it depends. Um, the truth is the strength training does not burn nearly as many calories as people would like it to believe, you know, um, and that, that comes shocking to people because we're like, what's the best training for fat loss? Strength right. training. But realistically, if you do like a high intensity cardio circuit, you're going to burn more calories. Yeah. You 100% are. Because um, you sweat more. Just <laughs> yeah. kidding. No. Um you're sweating the fat off. Um, but if, if you, if you think about like, okay, well, how does this add up over the course of months? Now we go strength training is more beneficial for your hormones, for your metabolism, for your muscles, for your joints, things that are going to lead to more caloric expenditure long-term from mm -hmm. just your metabolism, but also strength training is less adaptable. So you do that high intensity circuit, your body gets really good at it. That's why people start crushing the circuits and they're still sweating just as much, but at the end of it, they're like, they're still pumped. They're not fucking crawling out of the class. When you get really good at it, you're efficient. When you're efficient, you use less energy. When you use less energy, you're burning less calories, period. Strength training, you really never get efficient at it because guess what? As soon as you start getting efficient, if periodization is properly done, change it. 
you change it. Or there, it, it sets you up to add load. It sets you up to add volume. It sets it up to change exercise. Something is changing to where your body can't get used to it. But a kettlebell deadlift versus a kettlebell squat in the circuit at really, really high reps doesn't give you that change that you need. It is a different exercise, but because it's in this endurance and metabolic realm of energy output and energy systems, it's just not the same. You, it's not progressive overload. How is it? I'm completely naive. How is it not progressive overload if, if you're doing more reps? Because it's the same strain on the muscle? It is progressive overload, but once you get past a certain point of reps, which is also to say you're at a, cer- a certain degree of intensity, not intensity from like, so there's a difference between uh, what people think of intensity and scientific intensity. So intensity in a high intensity class would be like, how hard is my heart beating? How tired am I? That's really, it's effort. Okay. How hard of effort. Intensity in scientific literature is load, which I don't know why they do that. It should just be fucking load. So it should be a heavier, heavier kettlebell. Heavier kettlebell would lead to progressive overload. However, if you have to do it for 40 seconds because it's a 40-second interval Uh, with a 20-second break or something, you're going way beyond a certain rep count. You're going at a certain percentage of your one rep max, which is intensity, right? So for for an eight rep max, let's say, you're probably going like 60 to 70% of your one rep max, right? For 40 seconds straight, I'm doing 20, 30, 40 reps, right? which means that I'm going at like less than 50% of my one rep max, yeah. which is understandable. Yeah. Below 50% of your one rep max, you're not stimulating your nervous system or the muscles to grow at a good rate. Okay. So after you get past like 60% of your one rep max is when you can start seeing progressive overload actually work to build muscle and get you stronger. Yeah. But in those classes, you never work at, like imagine if somebody was like, put 60% of your one rep max on a barbell and we're doing intervals. You're like, what? Yeah. Like squats for... <laughs> You would, you would get crushed. Yeah. So that, that's where like, it's not really progressive overload. It's progression because you did more, Totally. but you're doing more in a range of intensity and reps or volume that doesn't lead to strength or muscle growth. Yeah. Take, if you take the, tw- the 40 seconds on 20 seconds off part out of it and you're doing, you know, 30 reps with the 25 pound kettlebell, but then you, then, you know, the next set you're doing 40 sets with a 25 count, is that progressive overload? It is progressive overload. It's progressive overload for muscular endurance. Uh, So the problem with that is it's not really going to build much muscle or strength. It's going to improve your metabolism. It's going to improve your muscular endurance. This is obvious, but uh, reps is a different progressive overload than getting a heavier kettlebell. Bingo. So if you went from 30 reps with 25 to 25 pounds to 30 reps. 25 reps or, with 30 pounds. Yeah. Now we're starting to build a little strength. And then you go to 20 reps yeah. with 40 pounds because you're getting stronger. So you're yeah. lowering volume. And you can increase volume to build muscle as well. But usually you go from like anywhere between like 6 to 10 up to like 15 reps. And then you got to come back down. Once you start going beyond 15 reps, you're, you're starting to work more in that muscular endurance range because the intensity of your one rep max, like the how heavy you're going relative to your maximum effort is getting lower, obviously, because you're doing 20, 25, yeah. 30 reps. Yeah. And that's where it becomes less productive for muscle growth and strength. Because um, because of recovery? You just run your muscles at 50 reps of, you know, kettlebell squats. Yeah, because of the, so the neurological adaptations, the easiest way to explain it go. is the neurological adaptation that leads to strength of muscle has to be within a certain percentage of your one rep max. Okay. Not because a one RM is special, but yep. because a one RM is basically the easiest way for us to uh, equate or signal 100% of your max effort, right? 30 reps is not 100% of your max effort. It's just, it, it burns, totally. but yeah. 300 pounds for one rep might be your one rep max. 300 pound kettlebell. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got to move to a barbell. But that's what <laughs> yeah. I'm saying. So, oh, ke- so even that, a kettlebell limits how much you can move. Yeah. The biggest kettlebell you can find is 200 pounds, I think. Good Lord. And I could deadlift that shit all day. Great. But I'm stuck there because that's as big as, that's the, yeah. literally probably the biggest kettlebell I can fit between my legs. Yeah. You know, even if they make a bigger one, it's yeah. I can't, what am I doing now? Big old gorilla. Yeah. Like barely moving because I'm doing the splits. Like, yeah. Got to go to a barbell. So, totally. um, and then it gets dangerous to go in classes. So, and that's why classes just aren't the best thing typically for, for what we're talking about here. But um, anyway, I don't even remember the question. Yeah, I took that down a different road on accident, but I think that was helpful though. Yeah. Uh, lowering volume due to more and more lockdown. How do you, uh, do you also lower calorie intake at the same situation? Right. So with, with, with the training volume question, like strength training doesn't burn nearly as many calories 
that's where it started mm-hmm. um, as, as circuit training and stuff like that temper in the short term in this one hour training session. But as you adapt over time and as you progressively overload the strength side, which you can't necessarily do in the circuit side, you now you're burning more calories from all these indirect effects that strength training has. Um, but because of that, most of the time you don't need to lower calories much just because of doing less volume, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you cut your volume by 25 to 50% because you're not, you can't go to the gym, you have to work at home and you don't have as much stuff, you're really not going to burn that much less calories. It's not enough to like make me worried. Now, if you change your training and you're getting 5,000 steps a day now instead of 10,000 steps a day, that's a, that's a big difference because your steps add up to a big piece of your BMR, your basal metabolic rate and how many calories you burn per day. So in that case, I'm going to lower volume, right? Or I'm going to lower calories because you're burning less calories per day. But if it's just a training thing, I would say like one, if you do a smart program that allows you to maximize as much volume as possible within your, your situation during COVID, you should be fine to leave your calories where they're at. Um, if you're on a serious fat loss diet, when COVID hits, I would spend like one to two weeks not touching it just to let yourself get used to the home workouts. See if you can push yourself because honestly, you might burn just as much if not more calories because when I'm in the gym, I bench, I rack it, I bullshit for three minutes, I bench again, I rack it, I bullshit for three minutes because I'm just trying to get stronger and build muscle. When I'm at home and I'm doing push-ups, I'm taking 30 seconds to a minute at most because I do 20 reps, my heart's through the roof, I calm down, I do it again, right? I one, I'm by myself, so I'm bored, so I'm just going to keep fucking going. And two, it's not nearly as stressful on my joints or my nervous system because it's just a push-up so I can recover faster. But my heart rate is going to stay more elevated. So you almost turn your strength training sessions into a little bit of a high-intensity session because you're just going from thing to thing. And if you don't have any equipment, now I'm also going push up and then row and then squat, right? And I'm doing a circuit of full body movements, which means I'm using more muscles in a single session, which means I'm probably burning more calories as mm-hmm. well. So, you know, at least 75% of the time, I don't even think you need to change your calories in that situation, right? You, you're probably not going to build more muscle at home. I can almost guarantee that. But as far as like calorie expenditure and adjusting calories, I don't think you need to. Um, and the other part of the question was similar, uh, or that or was that the second part of the question? No, that was first. Okay. Also, also with less training in one day, such as no workout or less active day, do you ever think of lowering your calories? Uh, no, I battle, I battle the urge. So this is where kind of going back to the whole thing with the scale is is the, this is where a lot of people start to have a bad relationship with exercise, right? Because they see exercise as a way to burn fat and calories, which means that they're trying to almost like earn things, right? So it's like, oh, I can't eat that because I didn't work out today. And it's like, see, this is where we have an issue because again, weekly caloric intake matters most. So did you train yesterday? Yeah. Are you going to train tomorrow? Yeah. Okay. Fucking eat it because it doesn't matter. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is actually why I also don't prefer cycling calories much. I like having people set calories and this is how I do it personally. The Sunday when I don't do shit, I eat the same amount of calories as on Wednesday when I'm training my legs. No different because one, m- Monday, I'm still recovering from my week. I'm loading up for Monday session, so on and so forth. But also, the, the ups and downs make planning harder. It makes this association with less food because I'm not being active. It's almost like a guilt thing. Mm-hmm. So then you miss a workout and you feel bad eating food when you shouldn't. You should just fucking eat because your body needs it. So I don't, and especially because that, that makes it very like on-the-fly planning. When I plan a diet for somebody... I'm planning how the day looks and I'm planning how every day looks, whether it's cycling up or down or not. And that's based on when I know you're not active. Right. So, and even in my situation, like there's been times where I've, uh, I've had shit come up and I'm like, fuck, I'm not gonna be able to lift today. Right. Cause of work. Cause I have to go do something with my daughter or something like that. And the one thing I will do is I won't eat my cereal. Like you say, I have cereal every day before I lift. Mm-hmm. I just take that out because that's like a very sugary, like th- it's purposely to spike my insulin and blood glucose right before I train, but I don't remove the calories. I just eat more rice and veggies and steak for dinner. Mm. Like instead of having six on steak, I go, Hey, I want eight and I'm going to have more rice to replenish the carbs and the proteins. I have protein shake in the cereal as milk. Yeah. I'm not reducing my calories. I'm just saying, well, it's kind of pointless to have like sugar cereal when I'm not going to lift. So I'm going to remove that and I'm going to add it to a more like wholesome meal with vegetables and rice and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so, and that's something on the fly, but for the most part, I think you should have a plan. You should just stick with it. I don't think you should be bringing calories up or down. It kind of just creates a bad relationship with food. Totally. You know, hinders adherence at the yeah. same time. Yeah. And it even, it even hinders adjustments because yeah. 
for, for the coach. Yeah, because, yeah. like, when I know your calories are set every day and it's equal in this every week, I know, like, at the end of the week, if you're not making progress, I know how much I'm going to adjust and why I'm going to adjust. But, and this is why, like, I have conversations with clients and when they're like, I want things to speed up a little bit. I'm like, me too, but, I mean, look at the numbers. Yeah, You're like, you hit your macros, like, twice out of the whole week, which means that your calories are up and down. You're over some days, under some days. Until I see consistency, there's no point in adjusting. Because what are we adjusting off of? Yeah. Inconsistency. And then they get consistent, and then boom, they get results. It's like, oh, now we don't have to adjust because it's working. Like, it's not almost like you should be like, don't come to me until you're consistent. Yes and no. no business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say yes and no. Yeah. Like, I think that don't uh, – I would think a more accurate statement would be don't come to me unless you're ready to get consistent. Because ah. it's like that post – Be I'm, open. Oh, yeah, exactly. Because it's like that post I made about uh, – I don't remember what I exactly said. It was one of those tweet things. And it said like, mm. like basically um, when pe- there's like coaches that promote themselves, you don't follow as many coaches as I do. So you probably don't see this, but they're always like, I'm looking for seven highly committed individuals oh. who are busy business owners with two kids age 35. And it's like very, very specific. Yeah. It's like, I only work with committed individuals. And it's like, motherfucker, people need help because they're not committed. Mm-hmm. They're not like a gym rat like you or me. That's yeah. I'm, I'm very committed. Mm-hmm. I don't expect you to be. Yeah. You don't fucking spend every day of your life in a gym and run a company that is based on training. Yeah. Why on earth would you be as consistent as me? Because I can help you be more consistent. You know what I mean? So I fucking hate that. That's my biggest pet peeve. That or the promotion thing. Like every other day you see somebody. (laughs) I know that one pissed some people off. Yeah. Or the one that's like the deadline is May 13th and then like June 13th. Yeah. The deadline is. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Wait, what? We have five spots left. Yeah. Two weeks later, still five spots. <laughs> You're lying. All right. Cool. All right, let's go to this next one. Next one comes uh, from Samoa. Oh, boy. I apologize. Samoa. I think go. it's Simona. Simona? I think it's Simona. Simona. I don't know the last one. Okay. Zika. I think that's a, you know, when the X is like. Silent? Uh, or this is going to sound pop, potentially very dumb, but it, when it sounds like a Z, yeah, like an X is there, but it's Z. Z- Z- yeah. I don't anyway. Know. All right. She said, uh, I don't even know if that's accurate. They said, hi there. I will be 50 in a few months, lifting forever, consistently for over five years. I did put your name, but I give you a lot of kudos. Great job. She's how old? And 50 in a few months, lifting for forever now. Consistently for over five years. Well done. Did bulking, cutting, uh, and et cetera. I love my physique. How do we know if we have reached our genetic ceiling of muscle building? And basically, how do I shift my mindset to being content with my body? And also keep working out for maintenance and still have fun. I know strength is probably the answer, but I'm not getting any younger and need to be careful about my joints. I tend to push myself really hard. That's it. I just want to, uh, someone said, I love this question. I am older than 50 and have always trained and completely wanted the same question. Prime example of the Taylor Life Challenge Facebook group. Yeah, no shit. Um, and this is a perfect time since we don't typically do this, but this is a perfect time to, s- to mention our sponsor for the podcast, the Taylor Trainer. There you go. You guys should go check it out because. TaylorTrainer.net. That's usually one of my go-to answers is like. When I see somebody who's like reaching their genetic potential, I'm usually like, let's see your training, and there's usually some key components missing. I see people all the time, they're like, oh, I train four days a week, I've been training for six years. I'm like, and I'm stuck. Okay, train five days. And then in a year when you stop progressing, train six days. Yeah. What did you do? You increased volume. But your capacity to handle volume increases as you train within the volume range that you're in for longer, right? So for me, it's hard to grow on a four-day split. Four-day split is way easier on my schedule, and I usually like to do that with a fat loss phase because it just helps me stay more consistent. I can do five days because Monday through Friday I'm here, but, like, Saturdays can just be tough for me because, you know, like, for a long time it was like, is Blakely going to nap? I'm going to cross my fingers, and if she does, I'm going to go train. If she doesn't, I'm shit out of luck, you know? Or if we're out and about and she falls asleep in the car, all right, we're going to get a coffee and cruise for a while because her nap's in the car, you know, and I'm not training. Yeah. So why would I set myself up for failure by doing a six-day split where I know I might not get that sixth day, right? So typically I do a five-day. Now Shannon lifts with me on Saturdays. Um, we took a little break with everything that was going on, but um, it's actually dope. We make a routine. She comes in, we lift with Blakely, and it's just easy. Like I do a set while she plays, and then I 
she does say I play. And then we head to uh, Blue Max. Let's go. And get something to smoke. Yeah. Go home, throw something. I know, dude. On like, the grill. On the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Not everybody here knows what Blue Max yeah. is. Blue Max is and a And we butcher. live in Washington. Yeah, Blue Max a butcher shop. <laughs> Blue Max is my dealer. Uh, Blue Max dispensary. Yeah. No, it is a butcher shop, and we usually get something to put on the smoker at home. Uh, the other weekend, a uh, few weekends back, I, we did that, and I was like, I don't. I didn't have anything for post workout plan, so I was like, I'm just gonna grab bag. They have jerky there, you know, mm-hmm. so fucking good. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I got a pound of sugar free jerky. Dude, a pound of jerky is a lot. I would do it because it dehydrates. Like Fifty. Oh, oh. I thought you meant expensive. Oh yeah, it's very expensive. Very expensive. I wasn't ready for that. I know. I asked for a pound, and then Joe's goes, "Have you? Did you see that price tag? And it was like forty bucks. Yeah. I was well, like, think about what? it, dude. Like a pound of jerky is probably multiple pounds of beef. Yeah. Because yeah, it yeah, dehydrates yeah. and it yeah, yeah, takes yeah, yeah. all the water out and everything. Yeah. And it's not processed. I, did, I didn't think that. There's a long line. I'm just like, oh, I'll just get a pound of that, you know? Yeah. And, uh, dude, my stomach was wrecked. I ate the whole bag. Oh. Oh, yeah, dude. My a stomach. A pound? A pound dude, of jerky. Uh, I ate, like, maybe a quarter of It's pound. addicting in the salt, yeah. and I just kept going, dude. And it was like, I was like. There was like 30 flavors. I took a nap that day. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm done. <laughs> but, uh, um, I don't remember the question. <laughs> uh, yeah, me neither. Oh, what are you doing for your training? Uh, oh, yeah. Taylor Trainer. That's what you should do. But the reason I say that is because you got to increase volume. You got to change the way you're doing it. You Maybe you're not progressing enough. You know. So what is your progressive method, right? Are you doing a linear approach where volume drops, intensity increases, and then every four to six weeks you, you flip it and you go back? Are you changing things too frequently? Are you not changing things enough? Like there's so many things that are a gray area and you're usually, depending on the type of person you are, you're, you're somewhere in this middle range, uh-huh. right? The Taylor Trainer has all of those. They have programs with four-week blocks, six-week blocks, three-week blocks. They have programs with uh, linear progression, block periodization, like everything. Daily undulated periodization, um, double progressive method. You need to find a program that's actually set up for you that's going to advance you when you – because reaching your genetic potential from an aesthetic perspective also means from a strength perspective. Mm -hmm. Because one of the best ways to tell if you're gaining muscle as a natural athlete is if you're progressing in the gym. So if you're adding load – or volume, but mainly load is easier to track because volume is like a very slow thing. Like, did you add two sets per week per muscle group over the last six months? Like, that's so fucking, that's a snail pace. Are you adding five pounds to your eight rep max on a dumbbell bench press or a barbell Bulgarian split squat? Something like that. Like, not necessarily your one, two, or three rep max, which is pure strength, but more so six or above reps on a movement that is like your bread and butter, seated cable row, dumbbell bench press, dumbbell military press, and a barbell stiff leg deadlift. Those are like my bread and butter, like functional hypertrophy exercises. And I stay in the eight to 10 rep range because I want to add load to the eight to 10 rep range over time, Mm. right? My dumbbell flat bench press, I've gone from doing like, at first it was like 80 pounds for six to eight. And that was probably a year ago. And I've literally, every single program I've ever done has always had that every week. And now I'm doing hundreds for eight to 10 or six to eight reps. That's progressive overload, right? Now I can knock out a few sets of eight with the hundreds when I couldn't even get six a year ago with the hundreds. But that's a good range where I'm not at my genetic potential. Once I like cannot break through that point, that's when I've passed my genetic potential. Um, And that's usually, again, like if I get to a point where that is getting close, I'm going to move that like rep range I'm trying to progress to, to like eight to 10, 10 to 12, because the lower in reps I get, the more neurological it is. Mm. And the more neurological it is, the less telling it's going to be if I've reached my genetic potential from an aesthetic and muscular perspective. Higher reps are going to be different because uh, higher reps are going to signify a bigger muscle can handle more, right? Volume. Um, Otherwise, you're just training your nervous system. Um, And you still are a little bit, but but it's not the same. So I would be looking at having a program that's going to basically do that for you so you don't even have to think about it it's already the progression's already built in and track those things over time you know like make sure that you have staple movements like those ones i just said they never leave my program even if i get bored of them because those are the easy ones for me to know i can track progression i feel the muscle they don't bang me up like they're perfect for a progression model that is used long term for sure um and then the other thing would be like i think when you get older in your training career not necessarily your age, cause, but like how long you've been training, your training age, I think it makes more sense to stop the, the bulking and cutting and be very patient and slow. Like if you look at like 
Jeff Alberts comes to mind, but even just like older bodybuilders who have been doing it for 20, 30, 40 years training in the gym, you know, like what do they do? They don't bulk and cut, right? They get lean and then they stay pretty lean and they work on slowly building muscle over time. So like there's guys that are literally put on a pound, maybe two a year. That is so fucking slow. Yeah. When you've been training 40 years, like that's progress. And that's the progress you're going to squeeze out because you're so damn close to your genetic potential. But I don't think there's anybody who has truly reached their genetic potential to tell us what that is. I think that your genetic potential, when you feel like you're there, it's just that your gains are going to be so slow that it's, it's hard to not believe you're at your genetic potential essentially. Um, and a lot of people, they get real close to that and then they start juicing. They start taking some kind of performance enhancement drug, which is fine. I mean, it's totally up to you. I, I, I'm more, I don't even, I don't think I should say accepting, um, I don't want to say I'm a fan, but I, I find like it's less of a big deal to men. Is this relative? Not really. But I mean, think about it. Like if you reach your, if you feel like you reach your genetic potential, you've been training for 20 years, you're there, you're like, man, I don't have the patience to be gaining a pound a year. I yeah. want to see more because I love this. Yeah. I mean, really, steroids aren't that big of a deal. Fucking yeah. take them. As yeah. long as you're committed to this and you're going to have a doctor supervising what you're doing, yep. that's fine. But, Understand that your own. steroids is like, you're, I mean, you're going to have a few things in there, right? Usually, and actually I think, uh, I haven't listened yet, but I'm going to, um, Brad just did an episode, Brad Jensen did an episode with Justin Mahali. Um, Brad, I'm good friends with. Justin, we're just acquaintance. We know each other, but I'm a fan of his. He's, he, he, he puts out good content. He's very open about his drug use and uh, they talk about it on there. But a lot of people think like, you know, cause I have, I have a lot of clients on like hormone replacement therapy, yeah. men and women. And that's just thyroid. It's just testosterone, right? It's prescribed by a doctor. Steroids usually has one of those in it, but it also has growth hormone and insulin. Like there's a lot of other things under the umbrella, which is why it make, like I would be scared to do it because there's just so much going on. But the reason I bring that up about men is because usually, it, I mean, it makes men more jacked and they're happy. You know, I think women, it can, that's when you can start having, uh, you, you got to realize that now your, your bone structure is going to change. Like you're going to get a thicker jaw, wider jaw. You're going to have bigger joints, bigger tendons, bigger organs. Like everything grows if you take things that grow everything, right? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I think it works in the wrong way. I mean, men get more hairy. What do you think happens to women? That's why facial hair, back, like those things happen with these drugs. So you got to be careful with that stuff. But um, people who don't go that route accept the really slow patient progress. You, you can say your understanding of it. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, um, and I, but I I have I, I have friends that do, it and I don't like say like, oh, I understand. I'm like, let me tell me about it. Like, yeah. it's interesting. It's yeah. you know, and you're fucking huge. It's dope. Like, go for it, man. <laughs> um, I just I just personally wouldn't. You know, I can't go that route. But I think I'm also okay with this is a lifestyle. It's gonna take me a long ass time. I'll probably never get as jacked as I want to be naturally. Yeah, it's just unrealistic. Sounds pretty depressing. It kind of does, but but if you're like <laughs> as if, much as you want to be, maybe you lower your your standards or no. But think, I mean, so he, here's here's the thing: is like I have to. So there's two two things here: reality, Li- my real life, yeah, and what I love about my life, yeah, and then my body, yeah. And if I lower my standards for my life, I can raise my standards for my body, right? Because I could train longer, more hours, more often. I could get more sleep. My business would slow down. Yeah. My family would get less time. I would have less fun with friends on the weekends or my wife or date nights or anything like that. So yeah. my quality of life would go down. And that's not everybody because some people don't have a business and a kid and stuff like that. But that's that's me, yep. you know. I was way more jacked <laughs> like a few – four years ago because yeah. I was like, man, I got no – like less responsibility, more time, more sleep, less stress. But it's just weighing them out. You totally. know what I mean? So – but I, I associate the feeling I get when I just push myself in the gym. Like the feeling I get when I – get pretty jacked. <laughs> like I'm not insane, but I'm pretty good for a normal dude. Like totally. that shit I appreciate and that's good enough for me. Yep. You know what I mean? And I think that's, I don't know, not really answering your question. Well, Samana, absolutely. But, um, I think a progressive and periodized approach is the best thing that you can do. And it has to be something more advanced through intensity, but more likely volume than you're currently doing. That's like the simple answer. Copy. All right. Uh, we'll go to the next one from William James. Traditional bench press versus the floor press using the barbell. What are the benefits of each one? Uh, 
barbell floor press removes momentum and typically uh, lessens the range of motion, which could potentially limit hypertrophy and definitely limit joint stress and tendon stress. Bench press um, is going to allow for some momentum and some uh, positioning changes to leverage the bench press better for more weight. And it's typically going to take you through a, a deeper range of motion. So it's probably better for hypertrophy. Mm. Like those are the main differences. I mean, you can't say one's better than the other because they're used for different things. So if somebody's stuck out their bench press and it's because they're using too much momentum, um, they need to be able to accelerate from a pause. They need to work on the top half of their bench. I'm going to use the floor press because mm. with a barbell, with a barbell, because look, I stop right here, yeah. right? Because the floor is there. So I don't get all the way down, which means it's really tricep heavy. But that's good. Let's load it up. Let's build the triceps because the triceps help my lockout, which is probably going to improve the top half of my bench press, which is the competition lift. Um, if somebody's using too much momentum and I want to teach them how to control the movement more, I'm going to put them on the floor. Because if you use momentum, you're going to smash your elbows on the floor and it fucking hurts. Done it. You're not so going to do it again. You're not going to do it. You're going <laughs> to control that weight down. You're yeah. going to pause. And then you're going to have to explode up from a dead stop. So there's things like that. Now, if somebody's pure goal is hypertrophy, I'm probably going to use a bench press because, you know, typically I, I – alternate them. So a lot of times in the Taylor trainer, what I do with the programs is like, um, it depends on the plan. So like the power building program, you'll see like there's different phases that it goes through. So every block is five weeks long, but there's a, a three week progressive phase, a one week intensification phase, and then a one week deload phase, which is a really interesting way to do it. But it's basically like three weeks of just normal programming periodized in progressing one week of balls to the wall, drop sets, mile reps, three rep max. Like it's just fucking go and then a week deload and then we go back to the beginning with new exercises but in that program and another program bench press is the same the whole time there's 20 weeks programmed right now all 20 weeks barbell bench press because that's the movement we're trying to build we're trying to build hypertrophy and strength so we're going to stay to that i have other programs where like the strength conditioning program it's three week blocks week uh, block one is bench press block two is floor press block three is incline press block four is push press like we're going to alternate them because we're generally trying to build strength so i'm changing the things we're doing um, for women i often change or just go with different ones because um, their limitations change when we come to upper body this is why men and women should program differently usually because you know most men can do more upper body strength work than women our muscular upper body is more i know women who can out deadlift men but they can't out bench them. Yeah. And it's because their structure is different, plain and simple. So it kind of depends, but is, go, go ahead. ahead. I was gonna say, but like for the most part, I like bench press better for, for, for hypertrophy because if I'm lowering the barbell and for those of you can't watch and my elbows are going to pass my midline, they're going to pass my shoulder. So now I'm going into a deeper range of motion that allows, allows my elbows to go below where the bench is which is going to be at least a few inches lower than I would have gone if I was on the floor. And that's going to create a bigger stretch on the chest. It's also going to create more shoulder abduction. So if you like look at a fly, it's shoulder abduction. The, the chest is going to build from shoulder, uh, a little bit of shoulder protraction, but really, okay, so like pressing yeah. and then shoulder abduction, which is like a fly because it's a fan-shaped muscle. Lat is the same way. So you actually have to hit it from different angles when it's a fan-shaped muscle like that. So we want more of a range of motion for that. So I want to be able to go a little bit deeper, let the chest stretch, and then go through a longer concentric, which is a longer shortening cycle, to be able to flex my chest. So now all we're doing is extending the stretch shortening cycle of a movement, which is, is another way of saying, a fancy way of saying, a more range of motion, right? And more range of motion is typically going to lead to more growth because you're loading the muscle through a longer strength curve. Totally. So those are the biggest differences, but yeah. yeah. I know it. It can't, it's not the same for everybody. Is is typically, would you say it's, you know, more accurate than not to say that women are structurally stronger in their legs? Pound for pound, maybe. Yeah. I, I'm not 100% I sure. Just, I just know the, bit, like, on two, on two hands, they, yeah. you know, people I've talked to, at least females, are stronger in their legs. Yeah. So, like, and this is where we have to go, like, you got to get a, like, a relative strength calculator, for example. Totally. Because, you know, if... Typically, like on average, the answer would be yes. relatively, I don't know, but if we just like are men or women stronger, it'd be men, but it's because on average men are bigger. Well, yeah, but so if we, if we go like, okay, I can deadlift this much weight relative to my body weight. Like this is like my strength score totally because I'm 175 pounds and then we have a 150 pound 
female and her strength score might be higher even though she's lifting less weight but it's because she's 25 pounds lighter than me yeah you know but relative to her body weight she's stronger it could be it also depends on the the lift um typically women have a different cue angle of their hip so their hip socket and joint structure is actually different um which is obvious they're gonna have you know not everybody's gonna have kids but they're designed to give birth which yeah. means that their hips have to be able to open up more and they have a different cue angle and that might allow them to lift heavier in certain positions maybe like a sumo deadlift for example yeah they might be able to lift heavier there um there's something to say about hip strength in general with women too you know like i know a lot of guys who like i know personally i can out squat a lot of clients of mine that are women and then those same women clients can out deadlift and hip thrust me especially hip thrust like is it because I fucking hate the hip thrust, so I never do them, and they do them all the time because they love hip thrust, or Maybe. is it because they have a better cue angle? I don't know. Yeah. Like, could be both. You know, yeah. their strength potential in that movement could be better. So it, I think it just depends, but it's very close, relatively speaking. Yeah. Um, I think it's person to person, but typically the men will just have a stronger upper body because we have wider clavicles. We have a bigger. Uh, I mean, our whole entire trunk is just larger in general. Our muscle bellies are longer, so on and so forth. Nice. All right. Um, We could do one more. It's a long question, but we have plenty of questions to do a part three. Oh, really? Yeah. Damn. I should. Maybe we should just. I'll just talk to these. uh, I'll comment and let them know we're gonna do another one for them. Dope. Dope. Oh yeah. All right. Cool. We got like five more. Five more questions. So, uh, yeah, that'd be the last one for today. Um, Anything else? I mean, I love it, man. Uh, No, that was good. Um, People from the Tiered Life Challenge. Uh, keep them coming. I yeah, mean, shit. Just that's what the group's for. Ask questions. If you're not in the Tailored Life Challenge, uh, you will have an opportunity to do it in the future. That's all I can say. When we we can't say yet. We don't know. But I can tell you this: based on how this went, it's only gonna get better. Yeah, it's gonna get bigger and better. It's gonna be uh, more impactful. Um, yeah, and it's and it's very strict. There was a lot of people, dude. I've had a lot of emails and DMs that I've had to turn down because they're like, "Hey, can I join?" I'm four days late. Hey, I'm a week late. I had one last week. That's two weeks late. Can I join? Just finish it out with you. And it's, I, I want to let them in so bad. I feel yeah. bad, but I'm like, no, sorry. Like at the end of the day, like if I don't stay strict with this deadline, there's no point in a deadline. Totally. So it's exclusive for a reason. Yeah. That's why like I let the, the group stay like um, public, but you needed to add yourself in or whatever on Facebook for like three days after it opened. Cause I knew people were like late on seeing their email and stuff. Yeah. And then I made it private, so you can't even find it anymore. Yeah. Because it's like no time for stragglers. Like, yeah. I remember the ver- uh one of the first days. I, maybe it was on the third day. Uh, someone started on the third day, and they publicly was like, "Should I even do this? I know I'm three days late." You're like, "Dude, just start from day one. Get on it." Yeah. Exactly. They like felt guilty. I was like, "Dude, no." Yeah. Well, I had somebody else. That, and this is the thing, like, because this is a challenge. This isn't supposed to be easy. It's 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 designed to change the way you operate day to day and it's designed to build grit and self-discipline so as much of a nice guy as I am there's sometimes where I'm like oh, fuck I gotta I gotta yeah have to like tell them how it is because that's the only way they're gonna see change there was a guy the other day um and I know him a little bit because he did the mentorship and everything and so I know him enough to where I could like call him out but he was like rough day yesterday I was super busy so I didn't get done with half of it but I'm back on it today blah blah and I was like man proud of you for getting back on it but because I want you to be your best I'm gonna call you out if you didn't have 20 minutes to read and meditate, you're lying. We all do. Get less sleep. If you're if you're finishing your day and you still have a couple things on the checklist, which you can definitely if you can knock out the whole fucking checklist in less than an hour, and that's even if you're on level level three might take a little longer because it's a 30 minute walk. Yeah, yeah. But the point is, is you have time. Yeah. Like you know what I mean. And I even said I was like, man, even if if you're like really struggling, read for five minutes, meditate for five minutes, go to bed. Yeah. But like. Put in effort. Do something. Somebody asked about the cold shower, and it was like, oh, well, I don't shower every day. Do I need to? I was like, no, you got to start showering every day. Like, I mean, I get it. Like, if you're not training and you, you know what I mean, whatever, but the, the checklist is a checklist. Somebody also asked about, oh, I got to go run errands with my wife. Shout out to Armin. He's one of my clients. So I can call him out. And he's like, I'll just, can I count that as my 30 minutes? I was like, no. You have to go on a walk because it's supposed to be intentional. Yeah. Not like I'm going to, like, stop and go and just kind of, like, follow my wife around while she shops because yeah. I know what that's like. I do it. Like yeah. it's not that's not an intentional 30 minute walk. Audiobooks, they don't count because you need to sit down and read. Like the whole point is to like create space, sit down, focus. And and I talked about this in one of the first lives. The research on multitasking is like 
ridiculous. Like we're so bad as human beings at multitasking that if you're trying to do two things at once, you end up doing shitty at both of them. So if you're listening to an audiobook and cooking, you're extracting half of what you're listening to. Now I'm not saying that's a bad thing because I listen to audiobooks while I cook and while I drive, but I'm aware that I'm not getting everything out of it. I'm just hoping that I can get some of it. Totally. But for this challenge, we want you to get everything you can out of it. So sitting down, taking time for yourself, which probably one of the biggest things that most people in here are getting out of it, and I've heard this, they realize how little they gave themselves, how little time they spent on themselves, how little effort they put into developing themselves, how much grace they gave themselves because they just do shit for other people constantly. They yeah. live on other people's schedule. It's like, no, it's time to give yourself some shit, mm. some time, some space, some creativity, some productivity, 100%. some clarity. Um, but point is, I've been calling people out because I'm like, I mean, it's, it's a challenge and a strict list of shit for a reason. Yeah. It's not like, here's a list. I mean, do what you can. Yeah. You know, it's like, no, we're checking shit off. For sure. Um, but that's it, guys. Another Tailored Life Challenge Q&A. Um, these have been super, super good. Uh, we appreciate you guys. Check out the Tailored Trainer. Leave us a five-star rating review. Share this on uh, Instagram. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>